HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by the International Culinary Center, offering courses that range from classic French techniques in culinary, pastry, and bread baking to Italian studies to management, from culinary technology to food writing, from cake making to wine tasting. For more information, visit culinarycenter.com. I'm Grace Bonney of After the Jump, and you're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to A Taste of the Past. I'm your host, Linda Palaccio, on this half-hour journey through culinary history. And, you know, a very interesting ritual has evolved over the years, vying for that hottest table at the newest spot, waiting on endless lines to eat and drink a meal with a lot of friends at a very uncommon hour. You know it. It's called brunch. Where did brunch begin? And what is it all about? And... Is it still alive or is it dying out? A lot of questions to ask. And here to answer those questions is my guest, Farah Turnaker. Farah is an associate sociology of gender and immigration at Lemoyne College. She teaches sociology of food, gender, and society, and marriage and family, and is the author of several articles, including Ethnicity, Ethnic Identity, and Food in the Encyclopedia of Food and Ethics. Her new book, Brunch, A History, is just that. It explores the beginnings of brunch and the cultural implications and the importance of this combination meal. Welcome, Farha. Thank you so much. We know that brunch, of course, is breakfast and lunch. We have brunch. (laughs) But where did this all begin? Well, it began across the pond in England. Um, you know, I tried to do as much research I could to kind of trace it. And the English form of brunch, as we say it today, you know, it started out in 1895. The first kind of um, historical evidence that we found was in Hunter's Weekly by um, 
a British journalist, Guy Guy Berenger, who basically referred to this meal as a late night meal, uh, but also um, a meal that, you know, was often prepared um, after people came back from the hunter's breakfast, you know. And so um, so we trace it to England, but then that's not where it became popular. It actually did not become a popular meal until we got here to the United States. And via both New York City as well as New Orleans is kind of what we kind of see, I think of as the brunch capitals mm-hmm. historically. Right. But then when we think about the brunch capital today, I think it's still New York City. Yeah, And, and basically, you know, any any major city you know you find it all over and it's back in england once again too it's yes very, it is. very popular yes it is uh, but then if we go if we take a, a few steps back in history a few steps big steps <laughs> into you know even medieval times you know people didn't eat three meals a day necessarily right. i mean they they ate their biggest heaviest long-lasting meal in the middle earlier in the day so it, it kind of harks back to to those early times as well. Right. Yeah, because, I mean, brunch is a very modern meal, as we think of it. If It wasn't even invented, really, till the 1890s, and it didn't become anything of a meal in the United States till the 1920s. I mean, before then, it was really, um, you know, a, mid, a midday meal and an evening meal, and then there was lunch later on as people kind of um, structured their lives around having to work, you know, and right. so then there was the third meal, and then we could say that brunch came much after that. And then, of course, relegated to the weekends. Now, exactly. you mentioned um, in England that uh, a lot of people trace it, a lot of historians trace it back to this reference in 1895 right. being the after the hunt. Right. Well, you know, you're on the hunt all morning long and then you're really tired. It's not quite lunch, not quite dinner or, right. you know, tea, high tea, low tea. <laughs> I kind of liken it almost to a, a tea um, in England. But then there are a lot of other historians who like to kind of attach it maybe to a religious um, yes. beginning also. Yes. So the religious be- beginnings, there are there's some evidence that claim that um, Catholics in particular fasted until they went to Mass on Sunday. And then after that, they would have this large meal with their families. Mm-hmm. And so there is, there is some evidence to support that as yeah. well. Of course, that takes a modern bent, too. I mean, I grew up in the time where when Sunday dinner was the big... Dinner and this is we're talking the late fifties, you right. know, and early sixties, and so Sunday dinner was two o'clock, which right. is brunch time, right? But right. it would be kind of more of a dinner, dinner, you know, right. a regular heavy kind right. of dinner, right? And and you know, laborious, and then you know, took a long time to prepare. And brunch is so much more sensible. <laughs> when did we really see um, that? evolve in the U.S.? I would say it happened really between the 20s and the 50s. You know, um, during Prohibition, you know, we started seeing these cocktails that were invented, like the Mimosa and the Bloody Mary. It was it was kind of a nice way, for, especially for the upper crust, to have their alcohol, but it wasn't as obvious. And during that time, and um, you know, we started to see people having these kind of brunch parties in the home, you know. And only a few hotels really had a brunch, and a couple of significant restaurants, um, uh, like Delmonico's, um, Emily Post was, um, you know, supposedly seen brunching there. <laughs> so what we saw during that time is really I, amongst the upper crust, the elite, we saw brunches happening, you know. And then by the 1950s, we started seeing brunch advertised as a way for women to cut down on the drudgery of 
of domestic work, really, because instead of serving, having to prepare both breakfast and lunch for your family, you could just serve brunch, you know, and that was something that was popular both in women's advice columns as well as, um, you know, we started seeing that in cookbooks as well. Um, And then also, it was also being marketed by the 50s as an economical meal, because what do you need to prepare a brunch at home? Eggs and some form of pastries or bread. Just make it a little more elaborate breakfast. Exactly. (laughs) And then actually... Elaborate but casual because at that point also convenience foods took off. You know, we, you could make your, you know, you didn't have to make your bread from scratch by, you know, by, you know, uh, prepared meals. I mean, prepared mixes. You know, you could make muffins from a Duncan Hines box and, you know, pa- Poppy Cannon's can opener cookbook came out that, at that point, you know, suggesting that you could make a meal and it, everything doesn't have to be from scratch. And so there was also that kind of trend. But then as as time went on, back to the beginnings again, brunch was really a meal taken out. Yes, and, and that's what happened. And so mm-hmm. by the 1980s, we really kind of saw this brunch culture of going out with your family or your friends, mm-hmm. you know, um, sometimes for just a regular Sunday, but also to mark celebrations. You know, a lot of people started having the brunch um, as part of the bridal weekend, you know, like having the bridal shower at a, you know, at a, at a nice hotel or at a, you know, fancy restaurant. So, you know, so reser- trying to get reservations for like the hottest restaurant, you know, that started, and we still see that, especially in Brooklyn and Manhattan, you know, 90-minute waits. Oh, or if getting... you, um, you walk down the street exactly. on any given afternoon, and, and of course now we've graduated to Saturday, too, and not exactly. just Sunday. Exactly. The lines will wind around the book. I'm saying, isn't there someplace else they could eat? You know, it has exactly. to be that one place. Exactly, yeah. exactly. You know, it's kind you of know. amazing. Um, well, in the, back in the, um, let's say, the, the 20s, uh, pre-prohibition, um, and it was very popular. It was popular, and then of course to take the meals out, and of course in England the hunt was only for the upper crust. So, so really, uh, you know, our, uh, talking about brunch um, in the early days and the in the evolution of this meal. Are we really talking um, about a discussion of social class? Yes, I really think that in the 20s and 30s, it was still a meal of the elite because it was something that either if you went out to one of these elite establishments for brunch, you had to have that, you know, the, the extra income to do that. And you were part of, you know, you were part of a certain class of people, you know, um, because in the 20s, your working class families were not going to be going out for brunch, uh, you know, going, they were not going to the Waldorf or the Delmonico's for brunch, right. you know. And then in the 30s, we started to see these kind of private breakfast breakfast parties, but still amongst the elite, because they were the ones who were having, you know, alcohol in the form of cocktails, and they're having these full elaborate bars and hosting these breakfast parties um, that also started to have somewhat of a gender connotation by the end of the 30s and 40s. Well, and and did these private, but that I'm I'm sure these private breakfast clubs kind of sprung up during Prohibition. Exactly, exactly. Because if you couldn't go out and get your liquor in a hotel or restaurant, you could at least, you know, somehow get it and then have it in (laughs) your own. It was available, yeah. Yeah, have it in your private home establishment. Right. Um, And, of course, you talk about then, you know, the cooking of brunch becoming a little more, you know, casual way. And 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 that involves the gender role. As you mentioned, women, it was a way to... 
to ease women. Well, a lot of women were going back to work. Exactly, too. exactly. So, I mean, so in terms of minimizing the time preparation, especially on Sunday where you were probably making some kind of breakfast maybe for your family, but still doing the Sunday supper anywhere from 3 to 6 o'clock in your house, you know, you could kind of kind of combine at least breakfast and lunch, you yeah. know. And so for women wanting to save time, you know, in terms of housework, but also a lot of these women were, were now starting to work full time. So it was a way to kind of cut down on a lot of that. And so brunch was, you know, being marketed towards professional women, women who didn't have a lot of time, maybe, and women that were maybe tight also financially. And also, um, and then eventually brunch became a a way for women to socialize outside the home. Mm. Also, you know, because what we kind of saw is some of the women who lunched became the women who Who brunched. brunched. (laughs) (laughs) And also, you know, you see that in pop culture references like Sex in the City to, you know, um, more recently, How I Met Your Mother and you know, was, right. you mentioned that um, that it's it was attached to special occasions like you know bridal showers or baby showers. I mean, it was a brunch, but also holidays. Yes, Easter brunches and Christmas brunches. And how about Mother's Day? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> In Mother's Day, by the 30s and 40s, um, newspapers would talk about how you know in their articles on food and you know the ones that were targeted towards women would talk about that brunch at home was a way to mark uh, specifically celebrations and these religious celebrations easter and christmas were very popular by the 30s and 40s especially amongst the upper middle class mm-hmm. and then mother's day and then eventually father's day also yeah. uh, we have so much more to talk about but we have to take a short break okay. so stay tuned and i'll be back with Farah turniker talking okay. about brunch okay. National Culinary Center is a proud sponsor of the HeritageRadioNetwork.org. The ICC, with locations in New York and California, provide cutting-edge education to future chefs, restaurateurs, and wine professionals. We're proud to claim Dan Barber, Bobby Flay, and David Chang among our honored alumni. This is Dorothy Can Hamilton from Chef Story. Check out our ICC website at InternationalCulinaryCenter.com. Hey, my name is Betsy Andrews, executive editor of Severa Magazine, and I am hanging out at the coolest, most delicious place in the world, heritageradionetwork.org. Okay, we are back on A Taste of the Past, and my guest is Farah Turniker, whose new book is called Brunch, A History. It's an old topic, Farah, but it's a new take on the topic, and so kind of a lot is happening with it. But let's talk, I mean, because what, what we've been talking about is that it's not just a meal. I mean, it's a meal that's that's embedded in in class structure and, and, and gender issues. And it, first we had it as a, you know, in the high economic, um, social economic classes, and then, but also now in an economical way to present a meal. Um, 
But tell me, what were some? What are some of the classic dishes that became brunch dishes? I think eggs Benedict is the most symbolic dish of brunch because most of us don't order that just for breakfast. It's a decadent meal, hollandaise sauce, perhaps you know ham. Um, and so I, th- I really think that is a classic brunch dish, and it can be traced back to the 1920s. But who invented brunch? That's a big debate. Is yeah. it the Waldorf or Delmonico's? And you know, there have been multiple culinary historians who have looked into that and there's just two strands of thought you know um because delmonico's had they're still delmonico's is still standing strong behind the invention of the eggs Benedict. <laughs> exactly exactly but then there's oscar of the waldorf who also right. claims no that was their recipe but i think that's really the quintessential brunch um you know meat dish and then i mean then there's others like for some people it's it's having something sweet, like having that French toast that you wouldn't mm. open, you know, order on a weekday. And we can trace that back to New Orleans with the French influence on American dishes. Um, and then for some people, they would say fried chicken and waffles, which you can we can actually say, even though there were versions of that in the South, there's also some evidence that tra- traces that back to the Wealth Supper Club. So, right. um, you know, I but I still think it's eggs Benedict is really kind of the quintessential. Absolutely, yeah. Um, but what? Well, now let's talk a little bit about the cultural importance of brunch around the world because we focus obviously we focus on America because it's such a wildly popular thing right, to do. Right. And of, and and I think now it seems even more so to be um, extremely popular with the younger generation. Let's say the the twenties and thirties who maybe have been partying hard on right. a Saturday night and. Right. You know, that in order to get a little hair of the dog the next day, they meet their friends and meet up with their friends again for a little calmer time and, and go to brunch. But what about around the world? Well, around the world, just in the last two decades, I mean, I was surprised to realize that in the Middle East and in South Asia, there's quite a brunch culture, particularly in the last 10 to 15 years um, in the, in Dubai, as well as in Mumbai and India. And I really, I trace that to class because now we have these new, very successful kind of economic cultures, both in the United Arab Emirates, as well as India. And so now when you want to think about who has the most lavish kind of over the top brunch with the all-you-can-eat buffet that just lasts for tables and, and tables. And on, you're right. going to find that in Dubai, and you're going to actually find that in Mumbai, places mm. that I would have not have thought of as brunch at all. When I started my research, I actually thought it was a very kind of Western, um, you know, Western meal, Western, you know, institution. And now you can go to those cities and find just these kind of amazing champagne brunches with caviar and dim sum and falafel and eggs Benedict. <laughs> Huh, you know, kind of like that smorgasbord of brunch that we we saw a lot in America in the eighties. You know, conspicuous consumption of brunch. Right, you know, right. um, and but now you can. I would also make the case that you could probably find brunch in any urban metropolitan city that you go to. From Ath- going from Athens in Greece, there's you know hotels and restaurants that have you know lavish brunches. You know, to going to Paris and France, which actually resisted brunch for a while. <laughs> Um, you know, and I think globalization has a lot to do with this, that spread of brunch from really it went from England to the United States. And then from the United States, it really spread to a lot of these other places. Right. And of course, then um, some of the Mexican dishes oh, yes. are celebrated as brunch. They were they were 
Mexican dinner dishes or, you know, heavy lunches, yeah, and, but they're celebrated as breakfast dishes, right? Yeah, and I think whoever's rancheros, I think, actually had the most interesting history because, I mean, looking back at Jeffrey Pilcher's re- research on Mexican food, um, you know, it's traced back to Mexico's answer to Eggs Benedict, you right. know, to having tur- Western tourists go over there and want something like this on a hotel menu. And we think of it as Mexican brunch, but actually it's really this kind of fusion or our, you know, the Mex- Mexico's answer to what we Americans want. Well, you mentioned that there was, um, in some of these lavish spreads that have gone over the, over the years, that waxed and waned, um, as evidence of conspicuous consumption. Is this really, uh, is brunch really considered sort of evidence of decadence? And uh, there has been a bit of a backlash uh, right. lately. right. I don't think it's really evidence of decadence as it is today. What I think it is today in terms of the backlash against brunch is about gentrification. It's, you know, you live in this quaint, interesting neighborhood with all this culture in a corner of Manhattan or Brooklyn or Queens, and all of a sudden you see this brunch institution and your neighborhood is changing, you mm-hmm. know? Um and because most of the brunches that are actually really popular in place in here, especially, they're not these over the top brunches with you know with tons and tons of options. You know, you go to a place like you know the Buttermilk in Brooklyn or Locunde Verde in Tribeca. There's a limited menu, and they specialize and they focus on uh, regional, local, seasonal food. Actually, so that kind of uh, that conspicuous consumption of the 80s in terms of brunch, those hotel buffets are almost, I, I feel like they're a bit outdated, though they're incredibly popular outside the United States. Yeah, or or if you travel uh, outside the urban areas. Yes, and even in still the Midwest. the buffet, the brunch the, buffet. Right? Yes, and in the Midwest, they're very, very popular, right. especially at chain hotels. Right. You know? I, I guess, it, we could, what could we say then, that this it's not decadence, it's it's just this need to do the popular thing. Yeah. I mean, I think brunch can be connected to, you know, um, culinary capital, like where you brunch can signify who you are, what's important to you. But also, I still think even though brunch isn't always related to who has the most money, those who brunch are either have some excessive income or excessive time. So when you think of the 20-something hipster waiting 90 minutes at, um, let's say, the farm at Adderley or whatever the next, you know, on-trend brunch place is, it's because maybe maybe they don't have $60 to spend for dinner at, you know, a high-end restaurant, but they can do the $25 dinner hipster, you know, on-trend kind of brunch. Of course, you know? after a few mimosas or Bloody Marys, <laughs> forget it, their, their bill goes up. There. Exactly, exactly. Oh, my God, it's going to be a culinary signifier. I've got to be careful where I go to brunch <laughs> next. Well, I think, you know, I think... Uh, you know, I think what's happened with food in general, what we eat, and I know you know this, is that it's just become an indicator of culinary capital, right? From right. where you eat lunch to where you buy your groceries to how you cook your meal, if you're making them from scratch, buying organic. And the same thing with brunch restaurants, you know, where you choose to brunch. You know, most of us are not brunching at IHOP, most of us. Some of us still are, you know, but most of us, depending on where we live, are looking for something different and unique. And brunch is a time where you can experiment right. with that kind of thing. Well, I think that, and you bring up another very interesting cultural point, and that uh, it it doesn't matter whether you are at the hotel buffet line or at IHOP or or at one of the fancier new establishments, um, is that it's a, it's a time for more relaxed socialization. Exactly, exactly, and that's the difference between brunch and breakfast. Breakfast is practical; it's your fuel for the day. Brunch is a time to slow down, have 
what you consider a meal of leisure, decadence, or comfort, you know? Right, right. And visit with people that maybe you didn't go out with the night before. Exactly, <laughs> or, exactly. You know, or family, exactly. you know, parents. Exactly. Or, and, and, of course, it's it's not unusual for there to be some of the very extravagant brunches that kind of extend from brunch all the way into dinner and there's no separation. <laughs> yes, yes, definitely, definitely. Because yeah. that's the thing. Brunch is a meal with no rules. <laughs> Mm, interesting. You know, all you right. can have your sweet, you can have your savory, you can all have your at the alcohol. Same time. Exactly. And all at the same time. Exactly. Too. Yeah. Exactly. It'd you know. be very interesting. And I often say brunch can be an excuse for bad behavior. <laughs> you know, well, you, if you, you wouldn't have a mimosa on a Wednesday at 9 a.m., but you can have it anytime from noon on, depending on what state you live in. <laughs> that's right. And I mean, that's why I say it's, you know, eating and drinking at an uncommon hour. And, exactly. You know, we think, well, in the early times, okay, brunch would start at maybe at 11 because right. it wasn't breakfast. But now you don't dare show up for brunch before one o'clock. Right, 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 <laughs> so, right, right, right. Uh, so that that's a little more reasonable. It's nine, it's wine o'clock as my daughter was. Right. <laughs> but um, I think that it is certainly whether it's if some people look at it as evidence of decadence or conspicuous consumption, I think I, I think now today we've got it a little bit more under control, except if you live in a neighborhood where the lines are winding around the block and you can't walk around right, the corner. Right, um, That it is really sort of a nice thing to see that people are really using this as an opportunity to, to catch up with friends and, and socialize on a more relaxed, casual level. Right. You know, it doesn't have to be a, a big, you know, a big party all the time. Right. Yeah. yeah. And as a sociologist, I always think about brunch. One of the big bun- functions of brunch is social. You know, it is a way to connect with friends and family that maybe you couldn't connect with during the week. Because right. breakfast, you eat with whoever you live with, you know, or work or on with. the road, or on, on the, the road. road. <laughs> yeah, or on the road where brunch is, you know, one of its functions is to connect with others. You know, most of us don't brunch by ourselves. You know, we brunch with people that we want to spend time with on our weekend. Again, while why it's, you know, continued to be relegated to the weekends although i say from it's gone from sunday to being saturday and sunday yes. and now i think we're seeing it stretch into maybe friday saturday sunday but, yes yes <laughs> yeah. yes but definitely. really strictly strictly saturday and sunday yes pretty yes much yeah so it had you know in the united states you know as i said there's this evidence that it started out a sunday because that was the day that people went to church then you know we started by the 80s it was saturday and even in the, like in terms of thinking about global brunch in the middle east it started out as friday because that's, oh, yeah, that's the day. day of prayer right? right and now you go to somewhere like dubai or beirut or cairo and you can get brunch on friday after friday prayer but you can also get brunch on sunday aha uh-huh. you know? <laughs> that's a, there there's the evidence of stretched <laughs> exactly <laughs> exactly yeah. exactly interesting. well it's interesting reading and, and just an interesting topic of of yet a fairly new i call it fairly new because it 1895. I mean, right. Yeah, type, a, you know, meal. Definitely that, that a modern we, meal yeah, compared to the history of lunch or breakfast. Right, it's very right. modern. But it's changed. Well, thank you so much for sharing your time with me. And, and uh, again, the book is called Brunch, A History. And the author is Farah Turnaker. You've been listening to A Taste of the Past. And I'm your host, Linda Palaccio. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.